I'm Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered, the podcast dedicated to all things younger. Last night's episode was major. We finally got an answer to the question that's been hanging over six seasons. What happens when Diana finds out Liza's real age? Here to get into with me is Younger's own Sarah Choi, the writer of this game-changing episode. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Girl, this episode is everything! I know. It is wild. Okay. We've got to talk about like how your journey on getting into not only writing this episode, but you know, from where you were last year to where you are now. Yes. I mean, it's crazy because I started out as the writer's assistant, and I'm still the writer's assistant, by the way. So I'm doing like, and the script coordinator, so I'm doing three jobs at once right now. What does that mean? As like a total novice and just like a super fan, I'm like, yeah. What's the distinction? So there's a writer's room where there's a bunch of writers, and then there's one person sitting in the corner or at the table who's taking down everything everyone says the entire time, and that's me. I'm just like the court stenographer, basically. You know, doing that while also writing an episode is kind of insane because you have to absorb everything that everyone else is saying while also putting out your own thoughts and your own pitches. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a lesson in multitasking, I have to say. But it's the best possible education for anyone that wants to become a writer. If anyone listening wants to become a writer, start out as a writer's assistant because there's no better education for learning how to write television because you have to listen the whole time for years before you're given the responsibility. Well, here's the thing, though. You yeah. s- and I love that you said this, and you're so humble in saying this, but you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I had to do the, all this and write an episode. Girl, you wrote <laughs> the episode. I know. It's like when I found out I was getting this episode, I was I thought I was being pranked. I was like, <laughs> are you are you sure? <laughs> Me? Like, I was looking like behind my shoulder like, wait, there's uh, OK. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I kind of blow up the whole premise of the series and my first episode is so it was like hella pressure <laughs> we'll get into that yeah we'll, in a little bit but real quick did anybody yeah. convey to you why you got this episode it's been there's a precedent for it two of our previous writers um grant sloss and joe murphy who are brilliant brilliant writers both started out as writers assistants and darren star is amazing he really gives opportunities to young writers and i i'm so thankful that he did but you know i really i think I wanted it really badly, and I love the show. I was a fan of the show before I even started working on it. And How many seasons were you watching before you started working? Um, it was really crazy, actually, because I had happened to binge the first four seasons about, like, two weeks before somebody I know asked me if I was available to interview for this writer's assistant job. So I started on season five. So this is only my second year on the show. So it was wild because I remember watching the show thinking, oh, my God, I love this show. It's so delicious is how I would describe it to everybody. (laughs) It's just so delicious, so watchable, like so juicy and so warm and, and bright in a way that a lot of TV now isn't, mm-hmm. I think. So just to be able to write for it is just a dream come true. It's it's wild. I feel the same yeah. way. Getting yeah. to work, you know, even adjacent to the show, I'm like, I'll take any any immersion I can get because it's yeah. just, it's so delicious. It is. It's great. I mean, it's, it's fun to write as much as it is to watch, to be honest. Girl, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. So we have a lot to get into in this yes. episode. So first things first, I'm clearly still choked up over that ending. I'm yeah. very emotional right now. I'm pouring my heart, my heart is on my sleeve. Uh, was Diana's reaction something that was heavily debated in the writer's room? So I think that we knew pretty early on that this was the season that Diana finds out. Um, and I think that we knew just from being with these characters for as long as we have that she would have an emotional reaction that went 
beyond just rage. And I think if Diana were to find out like three years ago, she would have had a completely different reaction. But now, I mean, um, in this episode, she makes Liza her maid of honor. They're closer than they've ever been. And, you know, I think her reaction really um, is a testament to how close they are now. I feel like... We didn't want to do it to be very drawn out. We we knew that I wanted we wanted to resolve it in one episode because we've done the long arc of forgiveness and uh-huh. it just didn't feel right for Diana. What's it? The five stages of Liza. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, that mm-hmm. is the Diane Star original. <laughs> she yeah. went through them in like I don't know, fifteen yeah. seconds. She actually <laughs> she talked herself did. through all of them. She did. She absolutely did. So let's talk about that. The last moment was everything. Diana is breaking down. Liza's I love you too. Tears. I mean, how did the scene develop? I think for me, like that scene of all the scenes in the entire episode really came in the writing of it because it's two sides. It's Liza's side and Diana's side. And it felt really important to me to make sure that Liza was kind of standing up for herself, which she does. I mean, she's apologizing to Diana for deceiving her, but I think she stands by her reasoning. And I think that's part of the reason that Diana forgives her so quickly is because she is able to understand Liza in this way that the other characters don't really, you know, she's a woman in her forties, you know, she's just like Liza in that way. And of course, Charles is also the same age, but he's a man. He doesn't understand ages in the same way that Diana does. And their whole thing is driven by romance more than anything. So I think for Diana, she has this vantage point of understanding Liza's motivations and ambitions more than anyone else does in the show. And I feel like, you know, Diana kind of convinces herself in the scene how much she appreciates Liza and what Liza's done for her goes so much more beyond this lie, right? They're friends. They're friends. I think she she's, realizes yeah, it, she's, especially now that yeah. they are peers. They're peers, they're equals, and she... You know, she's listing out all these assistant duties and then she realizes that, you know, she's getting into territory that's really not like employer employee. It's it's dedication and friendship and so much more than, you know, what they started as. And I also think that we know that Diana is a softie on the inside, but mm-hmm. like that is just it. It's on the inside. She has a really hard time expressing emotion. She's just not wired that way. And I think that who understands how Diana is wired more than Liza? Nobody. Liza understands that she can't express that in the way that maybe she can because she is an emotional and expressive person. So her saying I love you too I feel like is a great like testament to how they communicate with each other and understand each other in their own very specific way. Girl, that scene was perfect. <laughs> We've watched it five times now and we cry every single time we watch yeah. it. I mean, ev- the entire room just sobs. Yes. You too? Yeah. I, when Did we you were cry sh- whilst writing? No, I didn't cry while writing it but I have no soul. So... <laughs> But I was like, so for me, the option of that is, oh, I'm going to make people cry. I'm not going to cry, but I'm going to make people cry. How did the cast react to the table read? Oh, my God. It was a sob fest. Not a dry eye in the house. Um, It was crazy. The entire cast was sobbing. Everybody watching was crying. It was like so embarrassing collectively because we were all so emotional (laughs) Um, and I was not expecting it at all Sutton Foster and Miriam Shore they don't half-ass anything and even in the performance that they brought to the table read I think was so incredible and the emotion that they showed there I feel like really ended up setting the tone for how we ended up shooting it because wow yeah because I think when I was writing it I didn't picture it being so emotional but you know I'm staring at the page all day long, rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and tinkering and whatnot. So you kind of get 
a little bit removed from it. So when there are fresh eyes on it and it's the actors that play these roles, they brought this level of emotion to it that I really wasn't expecting. And it was amazing. It was beautiful. What did you toil over when writing that specific scene? Really, it was Liza's defense. Like what I said earlier, like what can she say to make Diana understand? Because Diana isn't going to react the same way Kelsey does. She's not going to react the same way Charles does. And I think because Liza is explaining that she did what she had to do because she is a woman in her 40s that needed a job and she saw... And also she kind of does like play towards Diana a little bit saying like, you know, this is the biggest opportunity I had. But I felt like it needed a strong beginning and an emotional ending. Like I really didn't picture Liza walking away from it without expressing... That she loves her too, you know? So I don't know if you've seen it yet. Go watch it. Getting Younger, the <laughs> okay. after show. Okay. But I had the chance to sit down with Miriam and Sutton in regard to this specific scene, obviously. And they were so emotional. But Miriam made a point to address the fact that there was a conscious decision for her to be stripped down. So we don't see a big Diana necklace. We don't, like, see her with, like, you know, tons of makeup on. She's very – the most subdued we've ever seen her physically looking. And she said that that was a conscious decision. Can you explain why you guys did that? It is a big deal for Diana Trout not to put her necklace on in the morning. That is an absolute conscious decision. It's like I can't be bothered because I have bigger things to worry about. Actually, in the script and the way that we were pitching it in the room, but I ended up taking it out. So the fact that that conscious decision was made, it just makes sense for the character who kind of takes on a life of her own, really. I had originally written it as she's got no makeup on and she's tired and she's wearing sunglasses at the office. And when she takes her glasses off, she's kind of just like bare. I ended up taking that out because I was like, I don't want her to wear sunglasses in the office. I feel like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but the, <laughs> so like really boring scoop there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we don't want to be distracted by anything as an audience to experience that with the character, with Diana. Like these little touches that make everything so real. Yeah. And those necklaces are very distracting. They are. Yeah. <laughs> for, I mean, for us, for crazy. her, she's like wearing like weights around her neck. It's, I feel like every time I see her in a new necklace, I ask her how much it weighs. <laughs> and like, and it's not just the necklaces, it's the earrings. I'm like, do your ears hurt? Like, do you, <laughs> do you need a doctor's appointment after this? It's crazy what they put her through. Making this very pivotal episode, what was your process in preparing to write it? I mean, aside from just that amazing scene, the fact that, like, this is a game changer. Like, now there's no more lies. So the process of writing every episode is the same. We all do it as a group, as a room. It's called Breaking Story. We all get together. We sit in that room for hours on end and talk about what works and what doesn't work. And we kind of start with the big holy moly moments and then fill in the rest. And it's really a collaborative process. All the writers are there from beginning to finish. I'm writing the outline, which I then turn into, of course, a 30-page script. But we're there together from beginning to end. And it's, it really helps that every single writer has a piece of the episode, I think. Like, I don't know if you could specifically point out what belongs to who, but everyone cares so much about the characters. Every, every writer is very passionate about being faithful to these characters. Yeah. So, you know, I think that all comes across in the story from beginning to end. We try to make it seamless. We try to make it satisfying. This is a huge episode, as we discussed. Yeah. So was there a lot of collaboration with other writers? Because this storyline creates such like a size... A seismic shift in the series. So how did you all work together? We start with the beats. We turn it into an outline. And then we turn it into script. And every single 
piece of paper, every document that I put together is put in front of every person. And everyone's putting in their two cents about what feels right, what doesn't feel right, um, you know, with obviously Darren leading the room. Pitching jokes from top to bottom is a really important part of the writing process. And I also think that it helps to have all these sets of eyes on your script as well, because you're so in it that you often miss certain things. For sure. But it's, you know, as the writer's assistant, I felt like it was crazy that I got this moment um, in my first episode, but I felt very supported by the writers. And I think just being in a room led by Darren Starr is like a masterclass in television writing. Oh, yeah. You know, it's I felt like I had a good education for it. But, you know, the fact that it's such a huge episode, you would think that it's a lot more pressure. But I think because there's so much incident in the story, it actually makes it easier to write. It's kind of easier to write big than it is to write very small because the explosive moments kind of speak for themselves. So the rest sort of falls into place after that. On a scale of 1 to 10, though, how nervous were you? On the outside, I was cool as a cucumber. On the inside, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Are we allowed to curse on this yes. podcast? Okay. For that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I will also tell you... Um, the timing of me writing this episode could not have been worse because the universe or the Parasepi or whoever, they were out to destroy me because <laughs> we were on a clock and we wanted to get eight episodes in before we broke for Christmas hiatus. So we had gotten to seven and then we had one day left for eight. And up until that night, I was like, so ready, so ready. And then time kept passing. And I was like, we're running out of time. The network is asking us for these outlines. And we don't have the one that I'm supposed to write. So then the day before we're supposed to break for Christmas, Darren asked me to write this outline. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. And then we ended the room. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I have 12 hours to write this. Everyone else gets weeks to write their outlines. And I have 12 hours to write it so I stayed in the office until like 11 p.m went home wrote until three in the morning and then woke up really early and also the next day was our holiday party and I'm not about to show up to the holiday party looking haggard so I like got (laughs) dressed and did my hair (laughs) so then I I went to work the next day and I was like so tired and I just gotten this email from Darren that was like Hey, like I had some thoughts on the notes from yesterday and I was like, was I not supposed to write this outline last night? And I just made that up. (laughs) So then I emailed him back right away and I was like, hey, like just take a stab, like take a look. I don't know if this is what I was supposed to do, but it's the time. So (laughs) (laughs) were you almost like, are you like punking me, Ashton Kutcher or what? Yeah, literally. I was like, (laughs) and I was so sleep deprived that I had so little awareness of what was going on around me and then I got to work and I handed in the outline and everyone was like oh my god I can't believe you did this great job and I was like (laughs) I could not like be more relieved but I had like had to flip that around in a very quick amount of time impressive honestly it may have been more impressive that I got less time because I kept as I kept telling myself when I went home that night pressure makes diamonds pressure makes diamonds pressure makes diamonds And I live to tell the tale. How was Christmas? It was great. You're like, I slept the entire time. It was great. Well, fans have been hotly anticipating Diana finding out. Obviously, she's like the last main character to find out. 
How much do you think about the fans and what they're expecting when you're writing for Younger, specifically this episode? We don't always want to give them exactly what they want, because I don't mm-hmm. know if everyone knows what they want, including us. Honestly, including yeah. them. Including them, yeah. Because, you know, when two people end up being really happy, that's the most boring story you, you would see, mm-hmm. right? So we do think about the audience a lot, and I think we benefit from having a really dedicated and really smart audience. So I feel like they expected Diana to find out this season and not only expected it, but wanted her to find out because the show has gone so far past the premise of the lie that they care more about what's beyond that than the actual lie itself. Um, and I think our job as writers is to deliver that expectation in an unexpected way and hopefully a satisfying way. But I also feel like part of the reason they expect Diana to find out is because it feels natural for her to find out. And it felt natural to us, too. So in yes. that way, we're like kind of on that journey together. These characters have taken on a life of their own, and we just want to be faithful to how they would react to it. And I think we also kind of expected her to find out episode one, yeah. as did Liza. Yeah. So that was a turn. And yes. so we knew it was inevitable. It's just how totally. and when and what and where and who and with yeah. what weapon, speaking of which, the weapon was Pauline. <laughs> yes. How did it come about that Pauline would make a comeback and that she would be the one to blow up Liza's oh, lie? my God. The notorious PTB. <laughs> she- <laughs> I mean, this is kind of a two-parter because it's why Pauline and why this huge moment. Um, very public, very big, go big or go home. We talked a lot about Pauline and how to bring her back this season because I think, you know, we're wondering where she is, where her head's at, what her attitude is. And now that Liza is so ingrained in Charles's life, the audience is kind of wondering where she is. Um, So I feel like Liza in the previous episode of 607, she's going through these moments where she's kind of confronted with how reminiscent it feels being with Charles of her old life. And she sees herself in this photo that Charles had taken the same one 10 years ago with Pauline. And she kind of wonders if she's Pauline 2.0 and ultimately ends up dodging that. But in this episode, Liza literally puts her clothes on and then... Yeah. <laughs> she literally... She is, yeah. like, there's a real reason behind there, it. She's cold. She's cold. She needs a jacket. She's not thinking. Climate change is a real problem. <laughs> and she thinks that she's going to go to the school, drop off the homework, and leave. Like, she doesn't really think about it at all. And it's, it's like, such a minute thing mm-hmm. that none of us would think about ever. We'd be like, oh, a coat. Maybe it's, like, one of the girls. Maybe it's the housekeeper. I don't know. Like, who? whatever. It's cold. So she literally puts on Pauline's clothes. And Ugh. I think that feeling of being Pauline all comes rushing back to her when she hears Pauline strolling up and saying, I thought that was me. <sighs> Which, Darren pitched that line in the room, and all the writers were like, Oh my God, so much secondhand embarrassment. Oh, yeah, like, I have a word for I made up word. It's called the bathos. <laughs> and yeah. it's like a thing with my audience, but it really yeah. is. It's like this Ooh. if it was a noise. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, like so cringy. Like just putting on your boyfriend's ex wife's <laughs> coat and then running into her at her children's school. Secondhand Poor embarrassment. Yeah. Hardcore. <laughs> so it's just, it's so terrible. And I think that, you know, once they run into each other, early on in the episode and they catch up and whatever. We kind of think that it's the story is heading towards this comparison between these two women. But of course, that's all upended by the events of the debutante ball. So it doesn't really go in that direction. Um, we talked a lot about how the secret would get blown up. We knew it would happen this year, but we debated for a long time whether it would be Pauline blowing it up or if Liza would out herself or if it would be some kind of accidental leak that 
instead of a close call as it's been many times, does truly go wide. And I think we ended up doing it the way that we did because, you know, Liza is this hugely flawed character that made this monumental decision to lie about her identity. And she's so likable and charming and well-intentioned. And all of that is a credit to Sutton Foster's incredible genius and beautiful performance skills. But because of all that, I think we forget that this thing that she's doing, deceiving the entire world, is messed up. It is not an okay thing to do. And it felt like... It was finally time for her to get her comeuppance on that. And Pauline felt like the right person to do it because, you know, she's close enough that she would feel betrayed and sort of horrified by this woman who's in her family's life and also removed enough that she wouldn't have any qualms about revealing the truth in this huge way. Also, personally, I just think she's like a little bit off her rocker. I mean, the woman left her children for a year. Let's not forget. You know, (laughs) I will say that this is something that came up on Getting Younger last year, though, because us, the audience, view it like that, and so do the writers. But the cast, actually, specifically Sutton and Jennifer, who plays Pauline, they feel like she didn't leave for a year. Like they're resolute yeah. in that. I'm like, no, girl, you left your kids she for a year. She did leave That's for what a year. I said. She totally did leave for a year. I mean, I don't know. The way that Jennifer plays her makes her a better person. We see the good side of her. I think as an audience, we tend to sympathize with the scorned wife, but she did leave her, her children yeah. for a year. Yeah. But I kind of see both sides of it because when I'm writing Pauline and thinking about the intention behind why she decides to blow this up at this public event. This debutante yeah. ball. By the way, does that really exist? It does, but we glammed it up, as we do. I mean, like, the publishing world, everything is real in some way. We just make it a lot sexier. (laughs) So there is a ball, but it's not, like, that fab. There is a real ball, but we made it our own. When I was writing this huge speech and thinking about why this woman would do this public reveal of Liza, I feel like I had to put myself in her shoes. If you put yourself in Pauline's shoes, this woman has been lying to your husband Uh and your children about her age. Who knows what else? She is scorned. I think she's really scorned. And we kind of understand that she's an emotional wreck at that point and so shocked. And when she finds out that Charles knew the whole time, I think that's the last straw for her. She's just like, I got to do something about this. You know what? When you put it that way, I would have blown shit up too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I think to go back to... The reason we always side with Liza, Liza is always doing these like crazy and kind of bad things. But again, Sutton Foster is so likable and so charming. Whenever we're in the writer's room pitching on these horrible things for Liza to do, we're always just like, ah, Sutton will make it work. (laughs) She'll make it work. She's so lovely. (laughs) And she is every time she delivers. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, now that there's no secret, what does it mean for the series going forward? I guess there's no secret. I think, but I think the reason that we decided to blow it up finally officially was because we've already kind of evolved past the secret. The show is more about the characters and the relationships. It's, you know, it's about Liza and Kelsey figuring out uh, Millennial. It's, you know, Liza and Charles exploring their romance, Josh exploring fatherhood, all of this. And we've already moved past the secret. So it, it felt right to just do away with it. And real quick, Lauren. Lauren was like, yeah. She was she was a little shade day. Lauren? <laughs> so Lauren and Zane find out along with Diana. And like the way that it's I wrote it in the script is they're like, wait, what? <laughs> Some of I think we have like the writers all have differing backstories of whether or not Lauren already knew. Like I so- <laughs> thought she knew as an I like I was like, oh she knows, she'll be like yeah. Queen Yes. Yeah. That's what I kind of thought. But you had a different yeah. idea. Yeah, I just I felt it made more sense to me that she 
she's not paying attention to Liza. <laughs> I think, like, we pay so much attention to her, obviously, because she is the protagonist in the show. But Lauren is preoccupied with everything else going on with her life that she just, like, accepts Liza for, like, whatever weird journey she's on. There's a line in the script, which may have been cut, who knows, where she's like, I saw her taking Splenda packets from the diner once and I just thought she was being quirky. Like, she doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and she was like, excuse yeah. me, ma'am. Yeah. Because like, I'm becoming of a certain age where I'm like, that word yeah. is very triggering. 100%. <laughs> me too. Okay, so that takes us to one of our favorite things to do in the podcast. We're okay. going to take a deep, deep dive into one seed from the episode. So, of course, that final scene of the episode where Diana and Liza come to terms was so beautifully done. And we have to break it down a little bit further. I know we really, really talked about it, but like, I want to get in, girl. So, tell us a scene from your perspective. So, this is the day after the debutante ball. Liza is confronting Diana about what happened. I don't think she really knows what she's going to say to her, but she knows that she's the first person she needs to see after the events of the ball. So she enters. Diana is understandably still very upset by the whole thing. She says that she's drafting Liza's termination letter, and Liza understands. It's the first time really that Diana's said anything like that to her, and it stings Liza. But she carries on. I think Liza walked into Diana's office with a statement to say that she did what she had to do because she needed to get this job and she was the only one who would hire her. And Diana doesn't really understand why she would do all of this for a job. Diana ends up listing out these duties that Liza's endured just for this job and it kind of in listing everything out, she sort of is talking to herself. She It goes from getting chopped salad and coffee all the way down to taking my urine sample to the doctor. But then it goes deeper. It's convincing me to fight for Enzo when I was about to run away and holding my hand on the red carpet. And I think when she makes that progression from small to big, she's really talking to herself and really understanding on her own, really, with Liza just kind of listening, how Liza's been there for her through thick and thin. And that turn really comes in herself. And I think that's the reason that she goes through the five stages so quickly is because she knows that they've already been through the ringer and Liza's been there through everything. And being there through everything for her is really worth so much more than the lie that she told. But I think it's important to note that Diana makes the point to say, going forward, we're not going to lie anymore because it's the last straw. I think if there's there's one more lie, Diana will have an actual heart attack. Like, she's not going to be able to handle it. And I think Liza is finally like, yes, like, I want to be free. I don't want to be weighed down by this lie anymore. And then, of course, you know, Diana wants to express her appreciation for Liza, but she gets choked up. She doesn't know how to say those things to her. But Liza understands that, and she says, I love you, too, because she can communicate with Diana like nobody else can. It's so good. It's just so good. <laughs> and we're all crying. Again, we're yeah. all crying. <laughs> what was the most memorable thing about shooting this type of a scene with these amazing two characters? Well, first of all, just having Sun Foster and Miriam Shore just read words that I wrote is so mind-boggling and surreal in every way, and I don't think I'll ever get used to that. But it's a really simple scene logistically. It's two people in an office, somebody behind a desk. It couldn't be more simple. It's really in the performance, and Sutton and Miriam really nailed it. And I think particularly for Miriam, she, when we were pitching it in the room, we just really wanted it to be clear that 
Diana is finding this information within herself, and Miriam nailed it. You know, she nailed every single take. I think it was really hard to pick one that we use because she got to that place. She accessed some part of herself, I guess. I don't know how actors do it. And it was emotional every single time. And, you know, it was it's really in the performance, I think. And it's it's just a credit to them. Were there tears on set? I feel like yes. But I also think that we got most of our ugly crying out of the way at the table read. But I was definitely crying because I vacillate between being an emotional wreck and having no soul. So I think I was an an emotional wreck that day. I mean, the actors were definitely crying, too. (laughs) And as the writer, how do you work with the director on set? This episode is directed by Todd Bierman, who has directed so many episodes of Younger, and he's great, and he really knows what he's doing, and the cast and crew really love and respect him. And I felt really comfortable with him because he's done so many episodes of Younger. I think we work together just to make sure that the tone is coming across in the way that we intended. I'm there for every take. I feel like I'm there to answer any questions that actors might have about intention or subtext about the scene. Um, if a line isn't working as it's written on the page, then we change it on the spot. Did you have any of those moments? Oh, yeah, for sure. It happens all the time. The director and the writer work together just to make sure that the vision that Darren has is translated to the screen. And the one amazing thing about making Younger, the production of Younger, is a lot of the people who are on it now have been on it since the beginning. And it's a wonderful collaborative process where everybody's really nice to each other. This is the theme of this podcast. And I know it's the truth because you guys aren't trading notes beforehand. No. And it comes up organically. And so what I'm learning is that's rare. Yeah. It's very special. And I think... Being in that environment, and especially as a first-time writer, I felt so supported by just the writers, too, to deliver this huge episode um, as a first-timer. And I don't think I would have been able to do it without the support of them. And, you know, everybody just is doing their best to service the show and the characters. And I think that's it really shows. Like, it is a product of love, and it is a show about love. And I think that's it really comes across in a way that many shows don't. Like, I feel like sometimes when I watch other shows, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, everybody was really mad at each other that day. <laughs> <laughs> But we don't do that on our show. We're really happy and we like each other. It's awesome. It translates. (laughs) Okay, so we're almost out of time. But before we go, I want to ask you the five questions I ask all the younger writers. Okay. Are you ready? I am so ready. One, how often do your own personal experiences end up in the script? Um, Well, considering this is my first script and my first episode, I don't really know how to answer that question. I've (laughs) never been to a debutante ball. I've never lied about my age. I've definitely experienced climate change and had to wear someone else's coat. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, ask me this again next year. Okay. We'll put a pin in it. Yeah. Um, What was your favorite scene or line that you've written for Younger and why? And again, in this episode. Yeah. So um, possible that this was cut I really hope it wasn't cut because I'm so proud of this line. Um, at the debutante ball, Lauren and Zane and Kelsey are kind of just hanging out before all the drama ensues. And Lauren says that the event reminds her of prom. And Kelsey says, I wouldn't know I skipped my prom to go to a Danity Kane meet and greet. And that line is my crowning achievement. Like, <laughs> Danity Kane was so popular in 2008. And, like, shout out to millennials who still bop to damage because I love that Damage song. is my jam. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, number three, have you ever had to fight to get something into an episode? I mean, I don't know yet. I'm just happy to 
be here. I feel like I'm about to get found out and somebody's going to be like, it's time for you to go home, Sarah. So I'm just like, I'll do whatever you want me to. <laughs> it's called imposter syndrome. Yes. And yes. we all have it. We all have it. I think women more than men. But between imposter syndrome and knowing how awesome I am, so it's a really hard. <laughs> but, you know, this was a pivotal episode in the lives of the characters. So I feel like it kind of took on its own path, but save that one for me next year. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which character would you most want to hang out with in real life? Maggie, easily. Maggie is dope. She is nuts. She's really funny, and she has an amazing apartment. Right? <laughs> yeah. And last but not least, what's the best thing about working on the show? You probably hear the same thing from everybody, but it is um, all the snacks. <laughs> I love that you just said yeah. all the snacks. Don't wait, tell me about the snacks. Yeah, no, there's lots of really good snacks. <laughs> okay, but what's really the best thing about working on set? Um, the best thing is the people, of course. Everyone is so kind and smart and generous and supportive of each other from the cast to the writers to the crew. Every single person on that crew is incredible and I'm just I feel so grateful to be a part of the show even if I didn't love the show I would be happy to work on it because everybody that makes it is so awesome but you do love the show but the show's good y'all it's, it's a good show it's a dream job huh <laughs> yeah it is a dream job fully. Oh, yeah. oh I love it yeah. girl thank you for joining me thank you for having me Sarah what a great episode and you're just I mean you're just as lovely as your episode oh my god wow thank you so much you're welcome yeah and I'm really excited to see what you write next and where Younger goes from here I can't wait me too. Dun, dun, dun. You guys, I will be back after next week's episode and every new episode to unpack every single bit of it. I'm Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered. 